Okay, so, um, hi and welcome to the Rags to Riches show with myself, Terry Blackburn. Today's guest is, I would definitely call him a special guest, this guy. Um, on his bio alone, I could probably talk for about 15 minutes, but let's give you a little flavour for his bio. Um, owns, manages or operates a thousand properties. My understanding is about 400 of those are owned in JVs with his business partners, developing over 140 properties at the moment. Owns the UK's largest property education company, uh, 17 best-selling books, two world records, um, podcasts with some crazy, crazy guests, 15 billionaires um, on the board of multiple charities, businesses. And for me personally, one of the best marketers of himself and his businesses and courses in the UK. Um, so Mr. Rob Moore, welcome to the show. Thank you, Terry. <laughs> Thank you for coming on, mate. I, I uh, appreciate your time. I know you're a very, very busy man. So um, just following the normal format of the, of the podcast, um, what I like to do is talk about somebody's life and their journey, their experiences, and we'll extract the lessons, the key learnings from that to hopefully educate, motivate, and inspire other people. So if we broke down your life, Robin, it's sort of three parts. The start, the middle, and the current. Um, talking about each part. So the start's normally uh, your upbringing and getting into business. Middle part's exciting part, all the things that you've achieved. And the current, where your sort of attention is right now. Talk about those three parts and we'll extract some, some, some lessons. So if we look at the first part, Rob, could you explain that sort of start part to me, please? Yeah, so when I was six, my dad got me working in his pub, bottling the shelves up, doing the um, redoing all the barrels and the kegs down in the cellar. And he got me emptying the fruit, uh, fruit machines or slot machines, as they call them in America, the pool tables, counting the money. He'd even let me take the money at the bar. And I loved it. And uh, he'd pay me a pound a week and I'd go down to the local um, shop the sort of everything store uh, where I um, was living at the time. I was raised around East Anglia, Cambridgeshire kind of area. And I would buy the picture of a Lamborghini Countach, the picture of a Ferrari Testa Rossa or the F40 or whatever, the Corvette. And I'd buy one a week and stick them all around my wall. And my dad would take me everywhere with him when he'd buy pubs and bars and clubs and hotels and all sorts. And always had loads of cash in his pocket, was a right hustler, you know, could out negotiate anybody. It was a bit of a scrapper as well. Yeah. That, that, that didn't rub off on me. But um, <laughs> and that was the sort of formative years of my life. And. I never really thought anything of it. And then, you know, you go to school and you get, you have to do exams and you get into girls and you get into sport and you're bored and you do all your GCSEs and A-levels. And then you look back and you're like, whoa, I'm nearly 25. I've gone through the school system, but I was 50 grand in debt. Um, I was going nowhere, working in my dad's pub for 200 quid a week, but spending 300 quid a week. I was living still with my mum and dad in, you know, in one of the rooms above the pub. And I I didn't really think about what I wanted to do with my life, because every time I thought about what I wanted to do with my life, I realised I was doing nothing with my life. 
So it was more comfortable just to carry on working in the pub and bitch and moan about my life and mm. be complacent and cocky and a chip on my shoulder and blaming everybody else. And then on December the 15th, 2005, my dad had this massive nervous breakdown in the middle of the pub. He was carving the meats. It was like 60, 70 customers. The pub was full anyway. I can't remember how many, but it was really full. My dad had the best carving restaurant in Peterborough. And he just stopped carving and he started shouting and square, uh, swearing and getting aggressive with the customers. And then he started sort of squealing and gibberish was coming out. His eyes were rolling in the back of his head. He was foaming and um, I'd never seen anything like it. And I grabbed him and like the whole pub had stopped, you know, like when the, the doors swing open in a Western movie and everyone stops and the whole pub had stopped. And I grabbed my dad and I was shaking him, looking at him and his eyes were up at the top of his head and he was gone. I couldn't get through to him. And I dragged him out the front of the pub and I was dad, dad. And I couldn't, couldn't get any sort of attention from him. Within about five minutes, a police van pulled up, reinforced. Two policemen got up. The near side one that I could see was look, no older than 19. And they pulled out two batons and they beat the shit out of my dad. They beat him around the back of the legs, the, his wow. back. His, they bundled him to the floor. They wrestled him down. They tied him up. My mum was there out the front crying her eyes out. My sister was screaming her head off. And I just froze watching it all. And they, they arrested him, they sectioned him, and they put him in Ward 5 of Peterborough District Hospital. And they diagnosed him with um, manic depression. And long story really short, my dad had worked himself into the ground for 35 years, bottling up all of his emotions, never sharing any of really freaking hard upbringing. And he gave me everything I ever needed, bought my first car, bought my first house, paid for me to go to university, paid for my education, paid for my accommodation and all right I'd come back weekends and work it but he gave me every chance and I was doing fuck all with my life and this was the biggest rude awakening I'd ever had and for about a week after that I just beat myself I hated myself I blamed myself I felt the shame I was felt like I was very heavily responsible for what had happened with my dad put a lot of pressure on him not done anything to really make him proud. And also the worst thing about that is December the 15th is my dad's birthday. And every birthday and every Christmas, he worked 6 a.m. till 2 p.m. And he probably worked on average six and a half days a week. Um, 6 a.m., 2 p.m. He used to have a sleep in the afternoon because he never got enough sleep at night. And strangely that was the start of what you're going to describe as the middle part of my life so in your description of start middle and now I was born again aged 25 years and 11 months um I went to a property network meeting meeting even though I freaking hated yuppies and you know people in suits because I was just a twat back then I was into you know rage against the machine and hated anyone who was successful um, could, I, could I just jump in there, Rob, one second? Yeah. You know, you say you worked a lot. You, you, from the outside looking in, you're pumping out a hell of a lot of content and oh, spinning a lot of blades. You didn't get a lot of that work ethic from your dad? 
I get a lot of that working, I think, because I'm scared of being a failure and going back to that place that I was at. And it's like I've got a new life. I'm 42 now. No, yeah, I'm 42. Um, pushing. I'm 42 plus that, let's say. <laughs> and um, I feel like I'm 25. I mean, I have days where I feel like I'm 60, don't get me wrong, but that's normal when you're an entrepreneur, you just deal with it. Mm. But I feel like I'm 25 and I feel like I'm born again. And I feel really freaking lucky to, you know, be an entrepreneur. We have nearly 150 staff across three or four companies that we own, four companies that we own, employ 150 staff. That's a freaking privilege. Mm. I've written 18 books. You need to update your, your bio. Of me. Yeah. <laughs> done hundreds of millions in revenue since, you know, my rebirth, broke two world records for public speaking, 990 units it is. Again, not quite, I don't want you to think I'm exaggerating by saying a thousand. I don't want to put an extra inch on my length. Um, so it's all good. But I feel like I'm just warming up. I, I, I launched my foundation a few years ago. I've raised seven figures, give or take for charities and my foundation is to help young and underprivileged people start meaningful businesses that change the world mm. i don't really see it as work ethic i see it as my life's mission and something that i get to do and um i want to prove to my dad that not that he needs it anymore but i need it and i want to feel useful and valuable and do something meaningful and not fuck around with my life and waste it so if you call that work ethic call that work ethic I don't remember. I don't really know what work is, Terry. I don't know what work is. I don't know what rest is. I'm not on and I'm off. I'm just, you know, me. And are, you, are, you, are you seven days, Rob? Do you do something every day? I love to do something every day, yeah. Mm. But some days I like to do it at my own pace and not the world's pace. Yeah, you go um, to the gym stuff, right? You've, you, you've got hobbies. I know your son plays golf and things. You, you know, you do other things. It's not just all work, work every day. You do a lot of your own stuff as well. Yeah, and look, doing content. <laughs> I mean, if you call that work, fucking hell, you don't know what a real day of work is. <laughs> a lot of my work is not labour. Mm, it's true. ideas, creativity, solving problems, sorting shit out, making a difference, making waves, growth, disruption, progression innovation that's all exciting i want to do that like if you let list those words to me i'll be like yeah i'll sign up to that every day don't need a day off on that well that's what i get to do so the word work is a bit of a paradox to me really um yeah fair point fair point what, what i just thought of when you were saying that is i think you did a um a video on your instagram about the habits of the these billionaires and millionaires energy was one of them and you said a lot of them the likes of buffett and them they're not exactly fit they don't go to the gym i know you go to the gym as well but you just come across like you've got this energy for what you do but you've kind of explained why i think there which is um i think a lot of people can learn from that if you if you know this energy does seem to be a common trend doesn't it a common thing that a lot of these people have at the top yeah so i've studied a lot of billionaires i know a decent number of billionaires hundreds of Decker, centi millionaires, half billionaires. Obviously, dragged myself out of a lot of debt and became a millionaire before age 31, which pissed me off because I wanted to say in my 20s, 29.9 is still your 20s, but I missed yeah, it. Yeah, one year off. 
Yeah. Um, and I wanted to be very technical with that because I've heard a lot of people say, oh, yeah, you know, millionaires, they get up at 5 a.m. They Not all of them do. Oh, yeah, you know, they go to the gym and they eat healthy. Not all of them do. Warren Buffett drinks Coke and eats burgers from what you read. But they have endurance. So they do what they do for a long time with no loss of enthusiasm and endurance. So they're not necessarily rah-rah. They're not necessarily 16-hour-a-day workers. And they're not necessarily, you know, high-energy pumping weights at the gym. But they have endurance, longevity. And that comes in different forms. So I just wanted to get that really technically correct. Yeah, like you said, the recent post on my Instagram was the common habits and traits of millionaires and billionaires. That'll also be on my money podcast. And I'm ve- I've been very careful with um, defining those because a lot of people just say, you know, grit. There's loads of people who've got grit that aren't millionaires. Um, so, yeah, I just want to be a bit more technical. Yeah, cool. No, thank you for that. Um, I know we're digressing a bit, but I just wanted to, on that point, I want to ask you, um, who's the most impressive in terms of businessman that you've met? Or a few of them might not want a single one out. You know, you've got these billionaires. I mean, some of the podcasts blew my mind that I've listened to, some of your guests. Is there anyone that really stands out as like, wow, this guy or this lady is like impressive? There's greatness in everyone. And if you don't over pedestalize or over depedestalize anyone, you put us all on a level, you can learn from everyone. And that's what I've endeavored to do over the years. So I get asked this question a lot because obviously on my Disruptive Entrepreneur podcast, I've interviewed 170 freaking awesome people in 700 episodes. But I'm not going to put anyone on a pedestal and say, Fair point. you know, but um, Barry Hearn is one of the most charming people I've ever met and was just very impressive the way he handled my team, the crew, the environment we were in because we had a room booked and they wouldn't give it to us. And we had to do an interview in a restaurant and his charisma. And he he was like, if you ask my team, they're like, he was brilliant. He was absolutely brilliant. Um, Floyd Mayweather is an imposing and challenging guy to interview. And I interviewed him twice. Not many people have done that. So that was definitely up there for an experience. I found him at the start, he almost changed my perception of what he was. He was really, yeah, he was he was just different. And then he got colder as the interview went on, didn't you? Your shorter answers, wasn't it? Um, he was almost changing what I thought he was like at the start of the, the second interview with you. And then towards the end, he was like, you know, but I imagine that was challenging. He certainly seemed that way. Yeah, I've, it's, I got 29 questions in in 23 minutes. Um, what are we 14 minutes in and you've probably squeezed four in so far and you're doing well. Yeah. So, um, I like to challenge myself like that. Um, I also like to judge a human being based on my experience of them. And uh, too many people are too fucking quick to judge. So I won't comment on anyone I haven't met. I, um, I interviewed Katie Hopkins, who's mega controversial because I wanted to, A, show the world a side to her they may not have seen because I haven't interviewed her before. 
Mm. B, I wanted to come from the entrepreneur angle and see if I could extract some interesting stuff. And C, I just wanted to shake up my community and, you know, just put the cat amongst the pigeons. I often like to challenge myself to do things that are, would disrupt me. Mm. And um, she was quite charming, major flirt. Um, and, you know, some people said, Rob, you shouldn't be associating yourself with her. It's only a fucking interview, for God's sake. You know, get over yourself. Um, that was a good experience, definitely, because, you, you know, that challenged me. Kev Clifton's become a great mate of mine. I've interviewed him two or three times, you know, massive on Strictly Come Dancing. He's just a, an all-round really humble guy. And the guy I've probably learned the most from alive today is Dr. John Demartini, who I've interviewed a couple of times. And he is a, a freaking genius. Yeah, he is yeah. so well read and, and knowledgeable. And I've learned a lot from him. Um, I, I, look, I haven't even mentioned a billion billionaire yet, and I've interviewed 15, but I, I purposefully wanted to just pick some different people. I interviewed Nolan Bushnell, founder of Atari, Steve Jobs' first mentor. And um, yeah, he was quirky and a bit of a mad professor. He was fun. Yeah, yeah Ronnie O'Sullivan just recently. That was, well, I texted, that was one of my favourites that I just, he's just... It's just a very, very interesting guy. I could, you could talk to him for a lot longer than you did, I'd imagine. I certainly could. He just, the stories he will have will just be, will be unreal. Um, yeah, we had two, we had two hours interview and it felt like 10 minutes. And yeah, we definitely, um, we hung out. We've got to know, got, got to know each other quite well. So yeah, look, you can learn something from everyone. If you keep yourself humble and open minded, you mm. can learn something from everyone. Love that. Thanks, Rob. If we just pull it back to um, doing the start, we did part of the middle. Give us some of the highlights of the middle part, please, Rob. Some of the re things that really stand out in your career that you've achieved, whether that's the education, speaking, all the different parts that you do. Is there any main things that, that stand out? OK, well, let's get the fucking braggy CV out the way and then we can talk about the real shit. So we won business of the year 2016. Tick. Was that, won... was that, was that progressive? That was um, my progressive success, my uh, its sister training company. We won training property training company of the year 2017. Um, I, I don't even know what revenue we've done in total. I mean, without the property, it would probably be 150 million dollars. So it was 120 million pounds. I mean, with the property, who knows? You know, you you mentioned we've got 990 units. We have three main companies: a, a management development and ownership company. And those properties are spread pretty equally between those, give or take. Um, I've written 18 books, already said. I've got the Disruptive Entrepreneur podcast, 700 episodes done. The Money podcast, 200 episodes done. Um, my foundation, I'm pretty proud of. The Rob Moore Foundation to help young and underprivileged people start meaningful businesses that change the world. I broke two world records for the longest speech. But the thing I'm the most proud of is getting my dad out of the pub and getting him retired and buying him a house and buying him a car and looking after him as his, you know, mental health deteriorated. So, you know, there's your CV. I'm, one, I'm in one of the top 100 most people followed now on Clubhouse and building a pretty good personal brand. But that all dwarfs compared to, you know, being able to um, look after my mum and dad and get them a house and a car. And, you know, I've, I've sent them around the world on holidays when they've wanted to go and bailed my dad out a few times when you know, it, it's needed to be done. And um, that's probably my proudest achievement, I would say that. And 
the tens of thousands of people that we've helped start and scale their business or, you know, build a property portfolio. You, you, you can only really measure me on the impact I have in other people's lives, I would say. And that's in 15 years about, right? Is that about right? the, the business? Yeah, something like that. Something like that. Uh, Jan 2007, we formed Progressive Property. We were started buying properties together, Mark and I, about a year before that. So you could say start of t- 2006. Yeah. Fair play. Fair play. Some growth in that in that time. So if we look at the current, and then before I've got some other specific questions for you, um, what's your retention on now? I know you're talking a lot about, which part of the reason I set up a podcast, by the way, and a video series was by listening to your content. The trickle down revenue, the personal brand thing. I've got other businesses, but this is something that you kind of inspired me to do. So first of all, thank you for that. Um, but what's what's your retention kind of on right now? Um, would you say? Uh, preparing my company for its next destination post lockdown. Which... Um, well, yeah. Do you know what? When I say my company, I I often forget how many I have. I I have two main training companies, Progressive Property and Progressive Success. I really see them as one in my own head, but they're separate companies, separate separate profit and loss, et cetera. But um, the training business, it's going through a bit of a revolution because lockdown completely changed the world. I mean, we were doing 850 training days a year. That's two and a half training courses a day. And we went from that to nothing, nothing overnight. And I'm sorry, I I probably shouldn't say this, but fuck it. I'm going to say our our country is run by a bunch of fucking Muppets. They haven't helped businesses. They gave us fuck all loans. They tried to charge us um, taxes and rates for using our training facilities when we clearly weren't fucking using them because we were on lockdown that, that all the PR about the loans and the support. Okay, the furlough was pretty good. That wasn't too bad, but didn't really help us that much. But they they didn't really support businesses and entrepreneurs, I don't think, like they should have. Um, and they're going to tax the fuck out of us now for the next 10 years, probably. Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, we went from doing 850 training days a year to zero and we had to figure it all out for ourselves. So we built an online training company. On on that was everything. There was 850. It was that all in person, right? In Peterborough. Some in London, most in Peterborough, all in person. And was, was zoom and it ever, have you ever discussed doing anything online at that point or just not at all? Uh, to be honest, I mean, there were lots of upsides on the, about the lockdown. I'd planned to do global events for years and convince myself I shouldn't grow too fast. Don't grow too fast. Take your time. Grow slow. I might as well have just grown fast and done everything on Zoom and then I'd have been ready for the lockdown. Um, but, you know, it, it is what it is. You, you, can only, you can only deal with what's happening in the moment. And it's all very well looking back and going, I, I should have prepared mm. for global expansion and doing online events. But people only really, really embraced online events in the lockdown when they couldn't do anything else. In and in-person seminars, I could have launched loads of online events globally, but in-person seminars would have just you know, been a much more 
attractive proposition. So what I've tried to learn from the lockdown is to be ready for everything and anything. And what even you can't plan and prepare for, you've got to be ready for. Mm. Good. One good thing about me. Look, I've got lots of faults. And um, but one good thing about me is I will act really freaking quick. I will decide quick and act quick and figure it out while we're doing it. I won't get a committee together. I won't spend months freaking planning it. It's all right. We've got to act now. We'll figure it out that day by day, hour by hour. And that frustrates a lot of people around me because they can't, they cannot work that quick. But I really think speed is a commodity, a valuable commodity in business. And the quicker you can think and decide and act and fix on the go and solve problems, the more successful you're going to be. And if you're not quick, you're going to get fucked because I mean, information travels at the speed of light. So you can't wait three days to get your letter anymore. Oh, I'm just going to communicate. I just send a letter and I wait for the pigeon to bring it back in a week. But some people behave like that is the way it is. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we reacted in lockdown and we pivoted and created loads of online courses. We've done all right. I mean, 2020 was really profitable for us. I don't go telling everyone about it because I don't want people to think I'm bragging in a situation where it was really hard for people. No fucking help for the government, pretty much. Uh, and we were really profitable. But there's been a cost to us. Um, and so moving into the now and the future, how do I make us really lean and agile so we can go for like probably the fourth or fifth phase of growth that I'm looking for us to go in? I mean, I pretty much retired a year ago and I'm not back in operationally, but I am back in helping retired from the training companies. I was going to say, how many retirements is that now? 76 <laughs> but it is legit like quite a few times you've tried isn't it and you came back it's always legit it's is always it? legit until, it, until i unretire again you know yeah. some of my critics are like oh yeah it's just fucking marketing he's retiring again i'll be back in two weeks well, it, conor mcgregor he has he does that doesn't he likes a bit of that yeah yeah well um it's my prerogative to retire when the fuck i want and unretire when the fuck i want <laughs> Um, but for me, a retirement, let's just make this clear. Let's make this official on your podcast, Terry. Retirement is not doing nothing. It's doing something else. And if you think retirement is doing nothing, you'll get bored fucking quick and you'll be useless fucking quick and you'll be lost and meaningless fucking quick. And your brain and your heart and your soul will start searching to do something meaningful. I know because I've been there six times. Love that. Love that. But you're right. What, what would you do? No, if you, a lot, I think a lot of people, I spoke to someone else on the podcast today and we talked about selling the business. And But I said to him, well, what would you do then? Well, I don't know. Young guy said, so, so what are you going to do? Just retire at your age. You would you would lose your purpose, lose your mind, lose your, you need some a reason to get, well, not everybody. I think a lot of people do need something. I certainly do. I certainly couldn't retire. Um, especially if you're an innovator and you're like, you're creative, you're, something is going to come to you, isn't it? Um, yeah. You know. Look, I, I don't want to preach what someone should do with their life, but um, I also don't want someone to project how mine should be and um, don't knock anything until you've tried it and don't judge something until you've been there. And there's is this somewhat naive fantasy that uh, when I retire, everything will be perfect. No, when you retire, you'll have a new set of problems. And a new, probably a new set of upsides. You can start the hobby you wanted to start. And, you know, you can 
um, travel the world and see things. But even when you travel, you get jet lag. And I traveled a lot for a few years, taking Bobby all around the world for his um, golf competitions. And I, I, I was over it after two or three years. I think, you know, something that people should try is mini retirements. Retire two days a week or retire one month a year, you know, or retire one week a month. Because then you're fresh and because normally when you create space in your life, you naturally start to fill it with things because no one's born to do nothing. Everyone's born to do something. Um, otherwise, the you know, all this stuff about, oh, it's just about happiness. That's the biggest load of horseshit. Because if the destination of life was happiness, when we all got to happiness, by definition, when you're happy, you don't work. You don't figure things out. You don't solve things. You don't stay up all night trying to sort problems out. You're not motivated by pain. So if we're all happy, we don't produce, we don't build, we don't solve, we don't explore. Because happiness is a reward emotion. It's a destination. Mm -hmm. So the happiness is the reward that you chase, but it always has to be something that you need to keep rechasing so that we keep working. And the struggle is the context for the happiness. So your destination of happiness is much more fulfilling the greater struggle you have to get there. But when you get there, it moves. You know, people say to me, Rob, when does it ever end? When you're fucking dead. That's when it ends. And, and, and until then, it doesn't end. And if you've got a problem with that, you need to reevaluate what you're doing because I don't want what I'm doing to end. I don't want my training company to end. I don't want to end writing books. I don't want to end changing lives. I don't want to end the growth. And all right, you know, new problems, new challenges, but new rewards. I don't want to wake up tomorrow and know exactly what's going to happen and every day be exactly the fucking same. Fuck that. Love that, man. That's really powerful. I think a lot of you might have changed people's look on, you know, outlook on that because I don't think a lot of people think like that. But the way you just said it there does make a lot of sense. I think it's relatable that. So hopefully a lot of people took something from, from what you said. That I certainly did. Love that. Um, love it. Um, just a couple more questions. One thing I've noticed, you actually said something similar to what I'm about to say just uh, before. You said, yeah, act really quickly. You've got the book, um, I think it's called Start Now, Get Perfect Later. I think. Uh, I've read it. Um, but you said something about you act really quickly. Um, you, For me, from the outside looking in, you seem like you, you seem to be a little bit ahead of, of certain things or you've ended up ahead of the game in certain industries, certain fields. For example, um, I think I'm right in saying when you were running Progressive at the start, I, early years, there wasn't many property educators out there. Now it seems like everyone who owns their own house is a property educator on Instagram. There's a lot of them. Um, the podcast you started yonks ago, now loads of people are doing podcasts. You just seem to be, from the outside looking in, you seem to be, think for, you know, you, you think ahead of the game, it seems do you have like a process for how you make decisions and how you run with an idea? Do you have, do you go with your gut? Do you ask for advice? Do you have other people to lean on or do you just run with what you think? I'm just curious. Um, I definitely have a bit of FOMO in me where I'm like, fucking hell, if Joe Rogan and Tim Ferriss are smashing in a podcast, then Rob Moore and Terry should be too. <laughs> so there's definitely a bit of that. You know, you want a bit of honesty from me. There's still a bit of void inside me that wants to prove that I'm useful and meaningful. I was the fattest kid in school in my year when I was young and I had a lot of shame and feeling outside, an outsider and always having to prove myself to be worthy of attention and 
just basic friendships and being seen as being respected. So I guess I'm still seeking that out. I've lost the weight, but I'm still to a certain degree seeking that out through my career. Um, so a bit of FOMO, a bit of desire to be useful and matter and make a difference. I quite like a new fucking shiny toy, I must admit. Yeah. So, oh, Clubhouse. Oh, <laughs> I, 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 I like testing new stuff. Yeah. especially in business, especially on social media and media. And that, by the way, everything I've said, Terry, has a downside. You know, and testing a lot of new things, I get overwhelmed from time to time. I mean, I'm pretty good at helping people get rid of overwhelm because I've been overwhelmed so much myself because I do so much. Mm. Um, and there's an argument to say, if I'd have just picked one thing, I might have been more wealthy or, or we might have been bigger. I don't know because I haven't done it. I can't do a, a parallel universe split test, but... I guess I've just accepted me for who I am. And, you know, everyone says, oh, you should have a niche, one niche, focus on it. Well, nah, I've got loads. So I kind of break that rule. And I quite like breaking rules, actually. A um, bit of a rebel like that. Mm. Um, I, think, I think it's important to be not the first, but early-ish in media. Mm. Because media is the route to all of your customers and clients unless you want to get in the car and drive around the country and meet them face to face which is unsustainable mm. so if i can find the next big viral social media channel or where all my you know ideal clients are going to hang out or um you know i can just find a new tool that can help me impact more people like communication tool like a podcast or whatever or mm. like i said clubhouse then I'm going to be all over it because it gives me a march on my competitors and it helps me reach more people and it de-risks me from having to chuck loads of money at ads. Love that. Love it. Thanks, mate. It's interesting just to get a bit of an insight on where your mind works. So thanks for that. Um, two more questions. Um, what advice, and that's a really generic question, and Eddie, I wrote this down, and I didn't ask it. What advice would you give to young people? Just because I think you seem to you're acting in a lot of, like the clubhouse, for example, you're acting in a lot of these spaces that do, that are attracted or used by young people, social media, obviously. What advice would you give, a general question, but what advice would you give to young people? Maybe on what they should be doing now in business. God, man, I mean, I could do a whole podcast on this. So, don't, this is a paradox, but I'm going to say it anyway. On the mm. one hand, you don't need to be in such a fucking rush because mm. you've got a lot of time. So you don't need to be desperate or feel like you've got to be successful in seven minutes or compare yourself to anyone else. You know, that's a curse. Yeah. But at the same time, your youth and your energy and your vitality and your speed are also an asset. So deal, deal with that and take that as you will. Um, I think if you examine life closely, just about anything exists in, in a paradox where you could argue an upside or a downside. And I like to try and maintain that balance because I think that's more wise than seeing things in a one-sided view. Mm. Um, I think you should ask yourself most days or every day, who am I and what do I want to do with my life? Because I didn't do that until I was 26 or 
Um, who am I? What do I want to do with my life? Who am I? What do I want to do with my life? Because if you ask that enough times, whether you're 21 or 31, you'll find it. Mm. The third thing is try some shit out. Because when you're 45 with three kids and three cars and a house and a mortgage and, you know, you're earning 15 grand a month, but you're spending 16 grand a month, you're going to be trapped. So while you're not, try some shit. Try and sell some stuff on e-com sites. Try and set up an information-based business. See if you can go viral on one of the social channels and build a following there. When you're young and you haven't got kids and you haven't got a you know massive overhead, try some shit out. Test some stuff. I think a lot of people could be a lot more free in that area. The next thing is, and I mean, this is hard for most people, but it's, I think, especially hard for younger people. Mm. Do not give two fucks what people think about you. Like, care about people. Mm. Don't get me wrong. Care about people. But when they bitch and moan and complain and criticise, if you can... If you can just let that roll off you, like, not like, fuck you, fuck the haters, fuck you. That's level one. But level level two is, you know, okay, well, yeah, all right. I'll take a bit of time to get over that. Level three is just like, what? Yeah, bye. You know, and honestly, the amount of time we've all wasted in our lives worrying about what people are thinking about us and they're not even thinking thinking it. Worrying about what people are saying when it doesn't matter. And I've probably burned fucking 10 hours a week of my life for 35 years. Worrying, concerned about others, what others will say to me. Give me 10 hours a week for 35 years. That's one and a half years or something of my life. If I've done the maths right, I get back. Yeah. So... I've spent I've spent one and a half to two years of my life worrying about what that guy said over there, who I don't even know, who doesn't even know me. And in 10 minutes, he'll be watching the football, getting pissed with his mates and he won't even give a fuck and he'll have forgotten what he said. And yet I'll carry that pain and baggage with me for however long. The, one of the greatest liberators of my life was handling much better criticism trolling hate what people say about me and i still don't like upsetting people and i still don't like you know big conflict or rejection but i'll deal with it and i can take it mm. and you can't fucking succeed on a big level worrying about what everyone says you can't you haven't got the time and you know you need some grit and resilience and endurance and resistance. On, and on that, Rob, I know, I, I know a lot of people will definitely be able to relate to that. 100% they will. Is there a, is there a way to do that? Is it, is it simply a mindset thing? Do they just need to think, I don't care anymore? Or is there a process? Is there a, is there a best practice way of doing that? Well, look, there's a simple and a more complicated way of answering this question. The complicated way is go back in your life and figure out where the origin of you really caring about what people think of you stemmed from. Mm. Was it a relationship with your mother or your father? It usually is. Was it a, a mentor figure, a teacher, some bullying, some issues? You know, you, you were a, um individual, i.e. the fattest kid in my year. 
made me very individual, quirky, teasable, different. I don't know. Not everyone has it, but a lot of people have it. That's the complicated answer. The simple answer is this, and I, this has been useful for me in my life. They're going to judge you anyway. Yeah, true. So no, you might as well be no, yourself. If they're going to judge you anyway, mm. you might as well be yourself. But how much time and energy do you waste trying to be someone else? A lot. Oh, don't want to upset someone. Oh, I didn't mean that. Oh, I better just tone this down. Oh, I better not say that. Or, or what if they think about this? Or I mean, all that posturizing. Fuck. I mean, that's time. It's time at the end of your life. You're going to wish you could add on to your life. Mm. So they're going to judge you anyway. So if you express your own individuality as you are, like I'll, I'll get to this in, at the end of this interview. And some people aren't going to like my style and some people are. And that's fine. But when I hit leave meeting, I'm going to walk down the stairs and go, that was the true authentic me that Terry got on that show. And that's the greatest gift I can give to you, your audience and me. By the way, I haven't slept well the last two or three days. I'm not feeling very well. And I didn't even need to say that, but I've still brought the real me. Yeah. I haven't pretended, I haven't bullshitted you. I haven't overly puffed myself up or been overly humble. Life's so much fucking easier and more straight line. I'm, I must admit, I'm fatigued with all the the noise and the distraction and how long everything fucking takes and the posturizing and the circumventing and the blah. Fuck me. There's destination B. I'm at A. What's the straightest line? Because that's the shortest route. I'm a big fan of that at the moment. And that pisses <laughs> some people off. Yeah, man. Love that. Love. Great bit of advice. I think so many people at hope listening will take something from that. Um. They'll, won't let, they'll, they'll have something to say anyway. They will. Love that. Thanks, Rob. That's one. I'll let you go because I know you're a busy man. Um, the show's called The Rags to Riches Show. So what does being rich mean to you? Because you can be rich in monetary terms, rich in time, rich in relationships, rich in friendships, rich in love, rich in loads of different things. What does being rich mean to you? Well, being rich to me definitely means having a fucking lot of money. And anyone who says it's not about the money, they're on the wrong show and they're in the wrong job. So um, that's definitely one. Um, I think being rich is having a fruitful, varied, fulfilling, useful, valuable life where you equally get to feel useful and do cool shit that you enjoy and that challenges you and you grow through but you also offer that value and experience to as many people as you can there's some highs and lows some ebbs and flows there's some context to me they are some things that some summarize riches because your show is called rags to riches and you don't appreciate the riches unless you've had the rags so there needs to be context and there's this naivety that we want the baby without the labor pains. It's not how it works. The labor pains make you love the baby more. So look, there's going to be shit that's going to happen and you're going to probably catch me occasionally wishing it away or complaining. I don't do that too much, but every now and again, I'll have a rant. But, you know, my challenges and the things I've found really hard have defined who I am and made my journey more rich. Love that. 
just just one last thing you just made us think of something when you said you like to do cool shit what's the coolest shit you've ever done because i bet you've done some cool shit i know you love cars and all that what's the coolest yeah, thing well I'm not a fucking thrill seeker or anything like that. So when I say cool shit, I'm actually quite a boring bastard. (laughs) I have the same Costa coffee every day, twice. Um, I just like to think I'd like to try that one day and then I'll try it. So I've got an aerial atom, which is 0 to 60 in 2.7 seconds. No roof. It's just a roll cage. That's a, that even at 50 miles an hour, that, that basically either scares the shit out of people or gives them orgasms at 50 miles an hour. So that's yeah. cool shit. And you know what? I don't drive it much. I like driving it when I drive pe- people in it. So it's an experience. Mm. Obviously, having loads of supercars is quite cool. My new thing is buying loads of Christian Louboutin trainers. That's my cool shit at the moment. Yeah, I've, seen, I've, that. I've yeah. seen some cool places. I've been to most cool places. I gave my son a great chance to be one of the best golfers in the world. And he was at, at five and six and seven. And he might be. At 27, who knows? That was, you know, pretty cool. Um, met some, actually, meeting really interesting people. If you, I've got a quarter of a million pound hi-fi system just sat behind me. You can take that off me. I've got a massive vinyl collection. You can take that off me. I've got supercars downstairs in this custom-built garage I built. You can take all that off me. If every week or every day I meet, I get to meet fucking cool and interesting people from all walks of life. You know, I, I love billionaires and then i love sad guru or um you know deepak chopra or oprah winfrey or you know it's interesting fascinating to see where melinda gates is going to go after a divorce and um you know just i can learn from anyone i, I love yeah. meeting interesting people so that's that. that takes money you know to meet cool people to get the buy-in so that's probably the coolest yeah. shit love that rob thank you so so much i was going to see if if um if if people want to reach out to you, it, but everyone knows where you are, unless you've been asleep for 10 years, you know where Rob is, he's everywhere. Best place, so is it Instagram, is it TikTok, is it Clubhouse? Where's the best place to reach out if they want to contact you and find out more? Well, to, to consume my content, I'd probably start with the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. Everyone's okay. listening to your Rags and Riches podcast. So go and download the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. Yeah, I mean, I'm on every social media channel except OnlyFans. And you know I'm a bit hard up if I end up on that. Um, but yeah, maybe DM me on Instagram. Uh, yeah, I'm 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 in those DMs quite a lot. Just search my name, Rob Moore. You can find all my books and all the the content I produce. Yeah, amazing, Rob. Thank you so so much. Um, hopefully catch up soon. Always a pleasure, never a chore. And if you don't risk anything, you risk everything. <laughs>